Hello everyone and welcome to Views Our Own, where we talk about everything young journalists need to know about the media industry and starting a career in it. I'm your host Sophie and this is Misha. Hi there. Today is a fantastically exciting episode because it's actually the start of a brand new series. Alongside our main show, we want to use this chance to talk to new up-and-coming journalists and talk about their experience, their interests and their writing styles and give them a good chance to profile their own work. Today we're talking to freelance journalist Ella Glober. So Ella, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Hi, I'm Ella. I'm a freelance journalist. I think it was about two weeks ago. It had been a year since my first published article. So I've been doing it for just over a year and I've written for Vice, The Independent, Stylist, a few other nationals. And I also work for a tech company doing copywriting for their website. Well, Ella, it is lovely having you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So tell us, how did you get started in this line of work? What made you initially want to get into freelancing and being a journalist? So it might be a little bit of an annoying, like an annoying thing to say, because I know a lot of journalists, they were in the radio at college and they went and did a journalism degree and they've always known they want to be a journalist. But I've had a lot of up and downs and known what I want to do as a career. But basically, I had a year out between my second and final year of university and I wanted to do copywriting. So I started a blog and then I realised, actually, no. I like writing articles that are journalistic in nature. So I have, have you heard of the freelance sessions with Jeff Evans? I did one of her master classes back before lockdown. We met up in person in Liverpool and she basically just taught me the ins and outs of pitching. Do you want to go more into detail about who that is for listeners who might not know? Yeah, so Jess Evans is a journalist, freelance journalist, mostly a lifestyle writer, I think. And she has a business called The Freelance Sessions where she does masterclasses and she does a lot of webinars now as well with the lockdown. She basically teaches people how to become freelance journalists. I think that's what the masterclass I did was actually called, how to become a freelance journalist. She gives you contacts and she taught me how to pitch. So she gave me a pitch template. So the main thing I learned from her was that you need a news hook. And it literally that changed everything about how I pitched. She basically taught me journalism isn't just hard news reporting, which is that's kind of what I thought it was. Like I hadn't thought about lifestyle journalism and personal essay writing before that. So she just basically gave me an introduction to the industry and taught me how to pitch and sent me on my way. That sounds super handy. So it's great you had that. I guess following on if you're saying before then you weren't as aware maybe of lifestyle articles and the such is that then an area of the industry that you're especially interested in or where is your kind of focus at the moment my focus at the moment is i really like writing reported features to send to the voices of people who don't usually get their voices heard that's my goal with journalism and i very much like opinion writing when i when i have opinions that i feel like people might benefit from hearing which isn't all the time oh yeah i definitely know that struggle (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I actually really want to do investigative journalism. I might do a master's. I'm not sure yet. And aside from the the workshop you talked about where you learned about pitching, what have been some of your standout favourite experiences or moments from this last year of freelance writing? Some of my favourite moments were I got to write for Stylist, which was at the beginning of 2020, I was like, if I can write for Stylist this year, I'll be so happy. And I managed to get a commission in February, which was like just a dream. You know what I mean? Like I didn't expect to be able to write for Stylist in my first few months of freelancing. So that was definitely one. And also writing for Vice was another great one. Congratulations on both. Yeah, congrats. We'll be talking about the Vice article some more in a minute. But just before that, so because of the way you got into the industry, it might be especially interesting. What kind of advice 
would you give to those maybe thinking about a journalism career? One thing I wish that I'd done, like, I do wish I'd done a journalism degree rather than just doing English language, but obviously, like, hindsight <laughs> is a beautiful thing. I didn't know I wanted to be a journalist when I started university, so I have to forgive myself for that one. One of the biggest things that I've learned this year is, like, just reach out and ask for help. Most people are so willing to help, and even if they're not, the next person will be. So I do think definitely ask for help. Twitter is a great tool for asking, like meeting people, networking, and asking for help there. And also just just try, like just send the pitch or just apply for the job because you might not think that you're qualified or whatever it is, but you definitely are. Well, that's certainly a motivation to take forward. I think now is as good as time as any, just as we were talking about this, to move on to a specific article that you'd like to talk about. So the headline for this is, video lectures are confusing and almost laughable, say, deaf university students. And this was published in uh, Vice in the World News section. Tell us about this article. How did you first get the idea for it or how did you first become interested in this topic? Um, I got the idea for it because I'm in a few different Facebook groups for students. So I'm in the Manchester Students Group, which spans like Salford University, uh, Uni of Manchester and Manchester Metropolitan because I went to Salford and I live in Manchester. So there was a girl who just posted in the group saying that she was really, really disappointed and she wanted to hear everybody else's thoughts. She wanted to start a group like um, to campaign against the way that the university had treated deaf and hard of hearing students and other disabled students as well in the shift to online learning and it had thousands of likes and over 100 comments to me I was like that's a really big issue and I hadn't noticed any reporting done on it yet so I dm'd the girl who wrote the post and I just said if I was to pitch this out would you would you chat to me for the piece and she said yeah it was really nice because she was really thankful for people I think BBC got in touch as well and maybe the Mancunian and the tab so she was getting a really positive response it's great that people were keen to pick that story up then because I do think it's a, such an important issue affecting loads of people but people just don't talk about it. It's what you said earlier about um, trying to tell stories that might be ignored by the media so I think you're doing a great job of that. How did you kind of pitch the article? How long did it take to get accepted? Can you talk us through the pitching process a bit? One of my issues is I can be a little bit slow with pitching like when I know I have a good idea I really really want my pitch to be perfect because I really want to place the piece. I don't procrastinate but I try to wait for the perfect moment which I don't advise <laughs> because sometimes you miss the opportunity. I was speaking to a few people about where to pitch it and I decided on Vice so I emailed the editor and I think it was on the Thursday and I got a response on the Monday asking for more recent statistics. So then I went on a wild goose chase to find some more recent statistics. Got back to her the next day and then it got that's when it got commissioned so it was less than a week no, that sounds really good. I wish the editors I pitched would have that sort of turnaround. In the editorial process, though, when you were first talking to the people at Vice and they were first agreeing to accept the pitch, did they have any requests for how the article should be handled? Any bits of the initial pitch that they thought weren't as relevant or any additional points that they wanted you to focus on? So how did they change the way that the article would be processed? So because I knew I was pitching to Vice, I already imagined it in the Vice style of article, if you know what I mean. So the one thing was the statistics, like finding more recent statistics and getting a comment from the National Deaf Children's Society. But I, I probably would have done that anyway, but that is what they specifically asked for. So I pitched Phoebe Hurst, she's the managing editor, and she sent me an example article of another reported feature that they'd done in Vice and just said, we'd like it to follow this style. 
So really center the voices of your case studies. And I think they asked for three case studies. To be honest, I wrote it how I imagined it, which I think is like quite lucky. Like I was pretty happy with that, to be honest. But I, I think that is because I knew I was pitching to Vice already. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Every publication obviously has its own style. So it's also key in trying to place a pitch, really, if you know what the different publications might be interested in and their kind of style. So you do have some really great quotes in there from students, the universities they go to and experts. So how did you go about getting those quotes and getting into contact with more people to sort of learn about the issue more? This is where it was actually a little bit stressful. So finding the case studies was really easy. I'd obviously already spoken to the girl from Manchester. And then I did a Twitter call out with a hashtag journal request. And I think I just searched in the search bar on Twitter, like deaf students online learning to see if there was anybody who'd been tweeting about it already so that I could just DM them and say, oh, would you like to speak to me for an article? I think it took about two days to find everybody to speak to who had the personal experience with being a deaf university student at the minute. For the comment, the expert comment, luckily I'd already had to be in touch with them for my more recent statistics before it even got commissioned. So I'd already said like, oh yeah, could you give me a comment in a few days? And they did. Actually reaching out to the university was stressful because I didn't do it straight away. I didn't know if it was super relevant to get those quotes and I obviously didn't want to go over the word count by a lot. So when I sent my first draft, I sent it quite early, like earlier than the deadline. And I asked, oh, should I get quotes from the universities? And she didn't say yes straight away. So I didn't do it. And then on the actual day of the deadline, I ended up having to get these comments and it took an extra day. And I was rushing around like emailing and ringing all the university press officers, like, please give me a comment. And one of the comments was a bit of a weird comment, like it didn't really work. It didn't answer any questions, but yeah, that was that was stressful. And tell us more about the actual interview process for all the different guests. Do you have questions for all the different people from the different universities? And what was the actual experience like in having them talk to you and trust you to properly represent the story? To be honest, I, if it wasn't for COVID and lockdown, I really prefer to, you know, either be on the phone to somebody or I haven't done it yet because, I mean, for most of my freelance career, we've been in lockdown, but... I'd really like to speak to people in person. I think you can have a more open conversation that way. But for everybody, I just spoke to them on Facebook and Twitter DMs. It was good though. And I didn't have the same set questions for everybody because I kind of wanted them to lead the conversation. I didn't want to accidentally persuade them to say something that maybe wasn't completely true. And they knew what they were responding to as well because my tweet was very explicit. Like I'm talking about the struggles that deaf university students have faced. But yeah, that, that was just over DM. And then... The universities for the right to apply comments. I had a set list of questions. And I can't actually remember what they were right now. But yeah, I just sent them out to all the press people at those different universities. Well, that definitely sounds like you found a really good way to approach the different areas. And especially during COVID, obviously, that makes things a bit more difficult for everyone. Have you kind of stayed in contact with the people you interviewed? Or has there been any changes in response to the article? I tend not to stay in contact. I send the article to them when it's finished and maybe have a quick chat. So I haven't actually kept in contact with anyone, but I know that the girl that I interviewed from Uni of Manchester, they were setting up a disability advisory campaign type thing. Like they were going to do a report on ableism across the university. So I actually might DM her soon and see how she's getting on with that. It was actually really nice because this is one of the first articles where I've written where 
the girl I interviewed was like, I really, really appreciate you trying to stick up for us. And like, you know, when you just think this is why I'm, this is why I want to be a journalist. Sounds like a fantastic feeling. And how has the rest of the feedback been to the piece, both from the community you're trying to represent and from other people outside? Yeah, it had quite a positive response, actually, which I was happy about. I think because a lot of my Twitter following and who I follow is mostly journalists and anyway, people who work in the media industry. So I think a lot of people were saying well done because Vice is a it's a good publication to write for, isn't it? Like that was my first piece for Vice. I've been trying to write for them for a year. <laughs> So everyone was really nice on that front. And then the people who actually have been affected by it, so deaf and hard of hearing students, there was a really good reception. They were like kind of, I don't want to say thankful because like, I didn't, I don't feel like I actually did that much, but they were appreciative of their story being told. That sounds like a really good response then, especially with, you know, the ins and outs of the Twitter world. And aside from the wonderful feedback and positive response and feeling of, why you want to be a journalist that you've gotten from this article. In terms of learning more about pitching, learning more about writing, learning more about interviewing potential speakers for the piece, do you think this piece has been good for developing your techniques and skills as a journalist? And what do you think will be the primary takeaway for your writing and freelancing going forward? Yeah, especially with trying to get the writing style right for the publication so before I started to write the piece after I'd done my research I read about 10 vice features I read a lot of vice anyway but I was just like I really want to get this right like I want to get the tone right and that's something that in the beginning of my career I suppose I hadn't really thought about it's something that people have to tell you and that's what editors are for as well that editors are going to change the voice if they need to but yeah I definitely learned that and I also learned to try to get you might have reply comments a lot sooner than the day of the deadline. <laughs> Since the Vice article has come out, what have you kind of been working on? What are your next goals, I guess? So since the Vice article came out, I haven't managed to get any commissions yet. I have been working on a few, but I've, I've tried to be a lot slower with um, pitching these days. Like, I only want to pitch articles that I think I really want to write. I'm not just pitching for the sake of getting work kind of thing. Um, but I've been on furlough, so I have, <laughs> I've had all the time in the world to pitch, but to no avail, unfortunately. But my goals, I want to try and do some stuff work, you know, at a news desk or something like that. I think that would be really beneficial. And I'm looking at doing a master's either next year or the year after. That sounds like a good plan going forward. And I guess the current situation is so difficult for everyone. So I think you're doing really well in it. Yeah, there definitely does need to be a constant outstreaming of content, especially if you've been working really hard on a piece. It's good to take that time for yourself, focus on the stuff that you think is really important for your work, to refresh and be able to go at it again when you feel ready. Okay, so thanks for all of those insights, Ella. I think that's been really helpful for our listeners to kind of get a grasp on how the process of getting an article published works and kind of more insight into a new publication that they might not have worked with before. We're going to move on to another segment now, which is quickfire questions. Okay, so Ella, tea or coffee? I think tea. That was a hard question. (laughs) Sorry to start on that one then. Magazines or newspapers? I think magazines. I would like to work on a newspaper, but I like reading magazines. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) When you're not writing, you are doing what? I actually do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's my hobby. <laughs> oh, wow. Intense. How did you get to that? Well, my boyfriend does mixed martial arts training and I just wanted a new hobby. Like I've 
I usually just go to the gym and I was so bored and I was like you know what I'm gonna try Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I can't actually explain to you how addictive it is and if you ask anybody who does it they'll tell you the same thing Maybe I should try that then, but go you. Okay, uh, who would you love to interview? Any person, dead or alive? There's somebody that I would want to interview, but it's not like the the person that I would love to interview in the world, if you know what I mean. But I really want to interview Grace Beverly. Do you know her? Yes. I think no, do tell me. Oh, Misha. I am very <laughs> uncultured. <laughs> right, yeah. and I give him a quick introduction, please. Okay. she better hire me now she better yeah if she her. listens to this she's like a an influencer fitness influencer turned like extreme ceo and she has like a sustainable activewear company which and i just think it's so cool because i'm very much about sustainable fashion and she is genuinely like making waves i really i'm so interested in her company yeah, it is really yeah. interesting. I love like looking at all the stats on it. It's, it sounds really weird, but like, it's just really interesting. It and is it, crazy. It's, and I, she's writing a book. I'm definitely going to buy it. I'm, I'm a little bit of a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grace Beverly, if you're listening, I'm so sorry for my ignorance. And please um, feel free to come on the show and inform me about who you actually are. Okay. Who are some of your favorite journalists or freelancers that you like to read? Um, one of my favorite journalists is Misha Fraser Carroll. She's. Oh, I got uh, so excited for a second. <laughs> and Misha and Sophie from Views Our Own. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Talk to us about this other Misha. So Misha's a columnist at The Independent, a culture columnist. She also used to be an opinion columnist for The Guardian. I'm not sure if she still is, but... I don't know what it is like the way that she writes like she's a talented writer and then also the, the subject matter is interesting and I also really like Annie Lord I don't know if you've been reading her Vogue column she's got a dating column I think she might end up being an author one day nice definitely people to check out who are some of your aside from Vice of course who are your favorite publications to get different sorts of content and ideas from I love the Guardian the G2 section especially I really like the independent stylist course and i don't know if you guys heard of the overtake yes no but not, yeah like heard of it not engaged with it yeah it's an independent publication based in leeds which is probably why i like it because it's northern but yeah <laughs> genuinely like the features that they write there are really good do you have any sort of major career ambitions if you could write for anyone who do you think that you would love to have your name printed by the guardian like a hundred percent the guardian i think if i when i get when i'm gonna say when we're manifesting yes yes love that energy definitely <laughs> if i ever get published by the guardian i'll be so happy and i'll probably have a, a month off <laughs> yeah fair enough i feel like my mum would probably cry if i got published by the guardian yeah that's my grandparents because you know my nan and granddad bless them like just not in the digital age so like they call my like huff post and be like oh so you wrote a blog and i'm like no it's not <laughs> <laughs> it was in the paper i think my nan and granddad would be like obviously they're already proud but like i think they'd be so proud that'd make my life and to add another difficult one to the list of questions if you could have a dinner party with three people dead or alive who would you pick to have <laughs> i have no idea why I'm thinking why <laughs> I'm thinking this right now because it's really random, but I, I suppose like, it came into my head. I feel like Michael Jordan, he's he's such an interesting guy and he's like really inspirational, so I'd like to speak to him. The um, actor or the uh, sports player? The basketball player. Ah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
if you've seen the last dance on netflix like i'm not i don't watch basketball but that documentary like i'm so in awe of michael and also like especially if it was michael jordan from the 90s i definitely (laughs) it's on my list to watch but i've not going to be on mine now there's so many things on my watch list it's ridiculous What oh, else is on your watch list, Ella? Do you know what? I've, for once, I've not got anything on my watch list, but I'll tell you what I recently watched and I keep telling all my friends to watch, if you want. Well, Go for recommend- it. So, right, first of all, Pose on Netflix <gasps> is probably one of the best series that I've ever watched. Ever. I literally clicked on that to start watching it right before we started recording this. Yeah, you need to watch it. And it's Ryan Murphy as well, so like, you know it's going to be good. It's honestly like, I keep t- nobody's listening to me. You know when you tell everybody, like, can you please watch Pose? And they're just like, yeah, 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 I'll watch it. And you see them two weeks later and they haven't watched it. No, but it's a fantastic show. Uh, fascinating insight into the community of the time. It's just a fantastic show to, and fantastic community to be aware of. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And also the Queen's Gambit. Oh, Netflix. I just finished that. How good is it? So good. I never thought I'd find chess exciting, but here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched the so series true. with my mom, and now she's like constantly asking if we can play together and just trying to learn. So I think it's really been amazing how it's had such a wholesome effect in encouraging people to learn the game. Yeah, it really has, and I think that there's also a load of other themes. They dealt with things really like just really well. I think it's such a good series, and I feel like it's still not getting enough recognition, even though it's number one on Netflix. So to bring you back to that tangent that you try to escape to, who other guests do you have at this dinner party? Okay, so I said Michael Jordan, which is like a <laughs> random response, but I'll take it. And then maybe George Harrison from the Beatles, because he's my favourite people. And hmm, my granddad, who passed away like when I was younger, because I think I wasn't old enough to appreciate that he actually has a life story to tell, if you know what I mean? And I wish I could ask him about it now. That's really sweet. That's really yeah, nice. I definitely relate to that one. That is really sweet. I'm sure if you could, you'd be so proud of all the fantastic work that you've done and fantastic work that you're still going to do. We're just closing up on our time now, but do you have any final bits of advice that you found really useful? Or if you could let other freelancers who are just starting their career know one thing that you wish you had known at the start of it, what do you think that would be? There's one piece of advice which has really stuck with me. I don't know if it's something that people don't already know and I, like, I just didn't know about it yet, but one editor told me to write like as if you're telling your friend the story, like write as if you're having a conversation with your friend and it like really impacted the way that I write. I love that one. That's a good piece of feedback. I've definitely gotten that. Yeah, yeah that's definitely a really good one to end on, I think. So... We all hope that you've enjoyed the start of our new series and this episode of Views Our Own. You can follow Ella on Twitter at Ella J Glover and you can follow us at Views Our Own on Instagram and Twitter. And we hope you'll tune in again for the next episode. Thank you so much, Ella, for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.